Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to you all. And hello again to you, Sally. And here we are in our virtual studio. We continue to explore the literacies together for living and leading in these times. Hi, Robin. Always good to see you and have the chance to reflect on Appreciative Voice and choice. Our episode today takes up just where we left off last time. We're moving from welcoming wholeness into connecting the collective. They're related literacies, but not exactly the same. But just like in our last conversation, we want to point out that the four literacies we introduced to you first in this season, those are inviting inquiry, reframing reality, kindling kindness, and powering the positive, they all support today's work on connecting the collective. In terms of appreciative voice, we're studying the power of dialogue today, the engaging voice. That's what we're focusing on. It's an area of literacy that many listeners have spent their careers on, facilitating groups in getting significant, cohesive results in the areas they most desire. It's one thing to talk to one another, It's another thing to really connect and engage, to have intentional dialogue on something important. Connection and belonging are the lifeblood of human systems. We are interdependent and interrelated as we talk about in Welcoming Wholeness. We're social beings and we depend on one another for our survival. That's something we often forget. And that survival includes being dependent on one another, not just for our infrastructure of food and shelter, but for innovations in our thinking and our meaning making. We shape our cultures, our belief systems and our futures together through our collective intelligence. The appreciative inquiry principle we most associate with connecting the collective is social constructionism. So that goes to groups and collecting intelligence. So it's the constructionist principle, which as a reminder, tells us that groups create their own social realities, which can be reconstructed through our conversations. So we have lots of malleability. Yeah. And Sally, also the principle of simultaneity plays a role here. You know, we, we move in the direction of what we focus on. And that applies, of course, to groups, turning the collective in a direction. And with a large group, it's like turning a ship on the water or in the water. (laughs) There's a huge power in deciding what a group will focus on to harvest their collective intelligence. Yes. And can't you just see, and sometimes in your work and in my work, we felt that we were out on the sea with a big ship helping it turn (laughs) into a new direction. Sometimes that can seem easy, sometimes not so much. Sometimes I'm saying, where's the navigator? (laughs) And where's land? (laughs) Um, So that's where the naming of this so important literacy came from, connecting the collective, connecting and collecting. It's more than a skill set. 
This literacy encompasses a huge school of thought on the nature and practice of dialogue, facilitation, planning, and group work, all seeking to tap collective intelligence and wisdom. So important today. Kathy Davidson, who's the director of the Futures Initiative at the Graduate Center of City University of New York, CUNY, most of you are familiar with that name. She's, is, she's the author of several books on the future of thinking, learning, and education. She's come up with a list of 17 literacies essential for the 21st century. And you're thinking, what, more literacies? But I want you to hear what some of hers are. She published this list in her 2012 book, Now You See It how technology and brain science will transform schools and business for the 21st century. All of the 17 literacies she outlines relate to connecting and collecting. See how they strike you. I'm going to go through some of them, mention a few. There's attention. Remember, we talked about attention with reframing reality a few episodes ago. And attention is such a part of connecting and collecting. Participation. Collaboration global consciousness that goes back directly to welcoming wholeness in our last episode, that sense of being able to be conscious of the whole. She talks about narrative and storytelling as a key literacy and the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. She also mentions digital participation and the need to be literate in that. So when you bring all that together, all of that um, can fall under the umbrella of connecting the collective. Mm. And of course, um, as you uh, point out, Sally, these are familiar concepts to us in the world of appreciative voice um, and also the practice of appreciative inquiry. How do we think and work together? And what are the opportunities for voicing our contributions? And these literacies from Davidson's work seem to fit neatly under the umbrella of connecting the collective and they point to some of our questions today. For example, what draws a group into dialogue and invites in our collective intelligence and alignment even for a short period of time? Or what encourages shared and interactive learning? We do have amazing digital learning platforms that allows us to connect up across the planet in a matter of seconds. But what helps that almost limitless exchange of ideas and connections to be most enjoyable and fruitful? Let's break this down a little bit more, Sally. When I think about collective, you know, I wonder if it's synonymous with community. You know, I've been thinking about this as we've been preparing um, our work together Right. Um, I think of communities of practice, for example, or communities of special interest and so on. Can we think of such communities as collectives is my question. You know, it's a, it's a great question. And, and the answer is yes, I think so. But the term collective puts me more in mind of collective intelligence and the opportunity of group wisdom. Mm -hmm. So not just coming together, but the extraction and harvesting of intelligence. Mm -hmm. That sounds really dour. I don't mean that to sound that way. But uh, to just continue, Jim Garrison, who's the founder and president of Ubiquity University and also Wisdom University, says, and I quote, wisdom requires a collective. There's the vast whole, all of us, and that to me is the great collective, all beings. And then there's the collective of when a few of us come together around something important. It 
It's a center of energy with lots of potential, a whole nested within that greater wholeness. To get the most out of our combined intelligence and intention coming together, we want to connect up and use it well. We want to share it to the greatest good. Does that align with what you're thinking about community? Well, yes, that works. I mean, it suggests to me that it depends on the reason for coming together and the effort that we put into connecting it. And then there's this overarching connection um, of our wisdom and our intelligence. Um, And we're learning that nested within these vast webs of wholeness are more intimate links and fields of connection. I think of families, organisations and networks and communities of practice and these fields grow, they deepen and open the more we sit together, the more we think together, feel together and we share insights. And Sally, from my own experience and from research, it seems our individual boundaries can become more porous and our work more powerful when we really connect. I'm reminded I interviewed Ken Gergen, um, president of the Taos Institute, of which we're both members, and I interviewed him on a podcast earlier on and it was such an honour for me to, to speak with Ken. And during our conversation... He, he talked about, I mean, he obviously spoke about social construction and he mentioned that there's been a shift um, with digital platforms that we have available to us and through the evolution of our consciousness and through our understanding of social construction that it's no longer what Descartes said, um, was it the 17th century? He said, you know, I think, therefore I am. Ken now says... I connect, therefore I am. It makes me think that how we manage ourselves in groups is of more importance than practically anything else in our human existence. So let's think for a moment about what meaningful collectives each of us belong to. There's so many for anybody and for, and for you and, and me as well. Um, the usual types for me, I have the usual types of uh, belonging to collectives. Of a fair, I have a fairly large extended family. Um, I belong to networks. I have lifelong friends. Uh, I have a kind of peripheral belonging to the network of people I've mostly never met who support protection of wildlife all over the world, which is really important to me. And, you know, I think our partnership, yours and mine, on these literacies is an example of a working collective. We're sharing our career-long insights into our experiences and learning. And it's been a sense of wonderful weaving of our own work combined with pulling from the work of colleagues and thought leaders. I think of that as a real collective. That's lovely that you say that, Sally, and I would echo that sentiment. Um, Thanks for saying that. That's great. I'm thinking of a collective um, as a cohort of students. You know, I teach at Champlain um, College up in Vermont and the Cooper Writer Centre and with these students what comes to life for me is um, the sense of their coming together for their field of study so you know that's their sense of purpose and they understand and they respect certain codes of practice Um, for example the grading rubric is very transparent um, which includes participation collaboration support and presentation, so they graded on those things, they understand those things, they honour those. So there are kind of like the rules of engagement in this collective cohort. 
So there are boundaries that keep them connected. But what is so valuable about this in the participation part is that they're there for each other. They really support each other. This is an online class. So a lot of the conversation happens in the online forum. So they're there for each other. They support, they acknowledge, they kind of have this co-coaching mindset. And it is such a beautiful example of you know connecting the collective um so that's what comes to life for me yes i i i think also to build on that that there's the larger appreciative inquiry community where we are consciously looking to increase our interactions all of us the whole community Um, we want to increase our interactions our knowledge sharing and opportunities to connect and collect wisdom The Appreciative Inquiry Jam, the uh, get-together, the gathering that both of us, both you and I, are on the planning committees for, is a project to bring together a broad swath of the community on specific themes and collect the honey, the intelligence that we can tap. It's more than a meet and greet. It's connecting and collecting. Also different than an international conference on the latest breakthroughs in the field where there are lots of presentations, Mm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is actually a collective sharing and co-education of one another. So with these collectives, what makes them work and perk, so to speak? The dynamics of connecting up within a group or collective can be challenging. There's an art to facilitating it. How might we make our connections and our interconnectedness more visible, more workable? How might we tap the intelligence of a group more clearly and more easily? Yeah, perhaps we have to keep in mind that when issues and challenges are very big, like meta-challenges, or very new, such as emergent shifts, no one person has the whole solution or the whole picture for that matter. We need the intelligence of the collective the tapping of everyone's brain and heart. We need the whole for big projects, big solutions, big changes of heart, bigger ways of understanding our systems and our places in those systems. That happens together. We can't get there on our own. Isn't that the truth? So let's spend a few minutes talking about what makes connection and engagement more possible and more vibrant. For one thing, it's much easier to have good results when the people included feel they belong, that they were invited, that they'll have a voice and a choice. And that relates back to our last episode of the topic of welcoming wholeness. When intentional connections and feel building doesn't work so well and the invitation to the magic of collective intelligence doesn't occur, It's where we have not done our prep work on welcoming or communicating clear intentions and how the participation will work. That's really true, isn't it? Um, There's so much, if if we think of what the foundations of really wonderful group work are, it takes some preparation. So what does connecting up look like for you when it's done well? How does it show up? Well, like you say, I mean, there are so many factors and um, we could start anywhere, but I think connecting all begins um, with shared stakes in an outcome. You know, that the theme or the topic a group has come together around is important to everyone there. And sometimes it's even urgent that something happens. 
And that in itself can create a sense of belonging and worthiness to be part of the process. It's an attractor. Accepting the invitation to participate, really participate, becomes an element of connecting. And you know what, Sally? It's even more than the invitation. It's also about the acceptance of the invitation. It's about choosing and self-selecting to participate. Mm. And that means when you're invited, you do have the choice to decline. Now, in organisational context, that may not be so easy. And that could be some of the you know, issues that happen around being committed to particular outcomes. But that's a whole different story. But when you can be authentic and feel you can contribute or have a stake in the issue, you know you've got your stake in the ground, then you will self-select and opt in. So I'm wondering for you, you know, what else would be important, Sally? Well, it, as we've seen from our own work, it has to be set up for maximum participation with participants inviting or inviting one another to relate experiences and share stories and interests. They have to hear from each other and get their best ideas out into the room. They have to be in dialogue in ways that add up to full voice. Everyone plays, everyone contributes, everyone matters. Mm -hmm. You can feel that in a room when the process has been designed for that. Mm -hmm. The energy goes up, people start co-creating new stories together and new solutions, more importantly. And it can reach a point where ownership for results extends to everyone. It's not common enough in group work that's why it's an included literacy for us. It's needed. Mm-hmm. And all that connection that you just mentioned won't happen unless there's a sense of what's been referred to as psychological safety. That's a key ingredient. And this requires more than opening up with a few icebreakers. In most large gatherings of people, a fear of participating can easily set off and, they, and the outcomes can suffer as a result. Right. You know, author David Rock of the Neuro Leadership Institute has conducted research that shows that a threat response is easily triggered in social situations. And guess what? Group work, when groups come together to work on something, that's a social situation. He describes the fundamental organizing principle of the brain as, and I quote, minimize danger, maximize reward. Mm. So, for example, he found that feeling excluded in a group provokes the same type of reaction in the brain as might physical pain. Mm -hmm. When people experience feeling betrayed or unrecognized, they experience it as a neural impulse, like a blow to the head. So imagine, imagine you're in a room and somebody says, that's a stupid idea, or talks over you, or you don't get a chance to speak, and it hits you like a blow to the head. How do, what does that do to our contribution and our participation? It contributes to limiting our engagement and our commitment. That's when people pull away from the table, either physically or emotionally. So what you mentioned about the fear and um, not having psychological safety is absolutely key. So what other things can block connecting and finding our way forward together? Mm. I just want to add to what you said there about, you know, that blow to the head and it just, you freeze, you you just seize up. Um, I've had that experience. I can just remember going, to, uh, being at a, at a workshop and I asked a question and the facilitator didn't understand my question 
And instead of asking me to restate it or try to paraphrase to get to me and understand, he kind of looked at me as if I was stupid and said, well, you know, that's your issue. We can move on from that. That oh dear. was devastating. Honestly, yes. it was, it was, I felt humiliated. I thought, gosh, I, you know, I don't matter. But I knew, I mean, I knew I had a valid comment, but it was just, um, I just felt, I had that, that, um, that metaphorical blow to the head that really impacted my physiology and my thinking in the moment. You know, Robin, the, the thing that is sad and, and upsets me um, is that this happens every day in our comings together, in our work together, in people's working together, that those sorts of offhanded remarks or um, unintentional biases that we cut people off. And that's why it's so important to plan in opportunities for full voice and for people to have ways to express themselves, whether that's to their table, to a partner, or to the full room, that they are able to express themselves. Because if not, we're not going to collect much intelligence. Mm. Yeah, that's so true, Sally, and it really requires us to be very thoughtful and mindful and reflect on the experiences we've had because this is how it, we bring it to our attention so we can do something about it. Right. Um, so thinking about um, in connecting up the collective, there's always some possible discomfort in the ratio of stability versus change. Now, what if a group or some group members are threatened by the idea of proposed changes in how things are done. You know, there can be an unwillingness to deal with uncertainty of how changes might impact them. And it doesn't always happen, but it can surface. And according to evolutionary biologist Rupert Sheldrake, evolution is a play between novelty and habit. Or as our favoured professor Ron Fry at Weatherhead School of Management has written, it's between novelty and continuity. That's the tension, the dynamic tension, the creative tension of life. Right. And that not liking change or fear being change averse, we say that people are like that. But really, when we have a part and role in creating the changes and new ideas that come in, it's not as difficult. Co-ownership mm -hmm in the changes is key to that and often gets left out. You know, when all of this talk about, oh, people are change averse comes in, if you look at how the decisions were made yeah. that impact them, usually there's where the story yeah. is. Yep. So there's another, there's another piece too uh, that I think is important to mention and pay attention to. In this time, and it kind of goes back to your story about feeling a blow to the head. In this time of people who barely know one another coming together to work on political action and other forms of activism, you know, there's a lot of that right now. They have shared intentions and goals, but they may sometimes have difficulty connecting up to their very good ideas. Mm -hmm. Although it's changing in school systems now with some new shared learning approaches and, you know, kids working together more, most of us adults, haven't been particularly well trained in creating connection, engagement, and dialogue. Mm -hmm. We know a lot more about debate. And that sets up some very different dynamics of me against you. I win, you lose, my idea is better than yours. That can make some participants feel like their opinion or their point of view isn't really welcome, and they shut down their participation. Mm 
They don't want to have to defend their ideas. And it can kill off really well-intended efforts. I think that happens a lot in the political activism arena. Mm. Yeah, but to go in the other direction again, I've been in a group event, I've been in group events um, like big meetings and small where things just flowed and so much got done and decided and acted on and people were psyched and inspired, you know, not by some speech designed to pump us up but by our ability to get work done together and to have great ideas surface that get listened to. So we feel seen, we feel heard. Um, And one of my favourite participatory methodologies, um, together with appreciative inquiry, of course, is open space technology. And that comes to mind right now. (laughs) Mm, Um, Because it's a structured methodology that does capture the group wisdom. But it's the way that it's done. So... It's called open space technology. It's not to do with um, technological digital platforms, but it's about the technology of coming together. And there are four principles and one law um, regard with, with regards to this particular methodology. And so, I just let me. I just love to just um, state them if I can remember them, Sally. So um, one is that whoever comes are the right people. So you know that comes back to what we're saying earlier about self selection and accepting the invitation. So it starts with the invitation, whoever comes are the right people. They have a stake in the issue. Mm. The second law is, or principle I should say, is when it starts, it starts. So that speaks to the notion of when, you know, the creative juices and the ideas and the dialogue, the conversation starts. That's when it starts. You can't force it to happen for it to be authentic and to be real. Mm. The third one is whatever happens is the only thing that could have because it's dependent on who's there, the resources they have, the passion, the excitement, the urgency they have for the topic that's that you know that is important to them. So whatever happens is the only thing that could have by virtue of who's there. And the th- fourth principle is when it's over, it's over, meaning you know you're not really saying it's five o'clock time to pack up and go home or the conference is over or the meeting is over you know when you're really engaged in that creativity and those ideas are flowing um it can go on or it may finish earlier because it's done right. but the real the thing that i really love about this so those principles are just so powerful and we can live our lives this way but the thing that i really love um as well is the one law, and that law is the law of two feet with open space. And that law states if you are no longer contributing or learning, use the law of mobility or two feet. Not everyone has two feet, right? So use the law of mobility, meaning it's time to move. Don't stay where you feel that you're not learning or contributing. That to I've always me, loved that one. Oh, that just speaks to me of what truly connecting to the collective is all about. It's, you're exactly right. Um, David Cooperwriter, AI's you know, appreciative inquiries, principal originator, says that dialogue is life touching life. And that's about mm. right. Mm-hmm. So it's a good idea to look for approaches that are going to provide opportunities for focused dialogue and forms of choice and decision making by a whole group that's gathered. So 
you know, open space is a great example of that. There's so many ways and means. So here are a few you may be familiar with, and um, listeners can add to this list. I'm sure that you have, uh, that, that listeners out there have many uh, ideas and things they have experience in, and that's part of being part of the whole. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, we're all co-holding the, this incredible world of facilitation and dialogue. Mm-hmm. Most of these take a fair amount of Mm pre-planning and have some guidance or facilitation to get started. But the participants are the stars of these methodologies. Um, Robin, you and I have both worked with the Appreciative Inquiry 4D process that's pretty wonderful in connecting people up and providing opportunities for conversations that collect intelligence and grow alignments. Um, So I just – I know – Uh, Many listeners are familiar with it, but I just want to talk for a minute about I have some vivid memories of events that I've participated in or facilitated um, using Appreciative Inquiry where some amazing outcomes occurred. People were allowed to find their own voices and make their own way to conclusions. Sometimes these processes lasted one day, sometimes three or four in a kind of summit format, and sometimes they were paced out over a longer period of time. I was lucky enough in the last few years to accompany a global non-governmental organization through 10 days Hmm. of intensive examination of their strategic directions, directives. There were 60 people from four continents bringing their experience together to see what would work in their developmental work worldwide. It was such a privilege throughout to see alignment appear, to see decisions float up, and to witness a celebration of their work and their organizational collective intelligence because really it was all in the room. Mm. Their years and years of experience was available to us. Mm. What an honoring of their contributions. Exactly. It was just uh, just lovely. In another case, I had just one day with a so-called troubled manufacturing team who had been forced into cross-functional teams with no real preparation. You know what I'm talking about. That happened a lot when cross-functional teams Mm -hmm. gained in popularity. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with cross-functional teams, but they hadn't been really prepared Mm -hmm. for how that was going to work. So we did a day of focused dialogue on teamwork. And they told each other stories of great teams they had been on in their lives. And culling from that, um, you know, everyone is a storyteller. Mm -hmm. It's the best connector there is. We just have to ask for the stories. And this team just overflowed with stories of what they thought was a great team and what they had been part of. Um, So at the end of the day, they announced to me and to their sponsoring management that We don't need you anymore on this. Mm -hmm. We've reorganized how we want to work together and we're ready. We've got this. And that was that. It was one day. I checked back in with them six months later and they were going strong. They still said to me, you know what? We've got it. You know, we all we had to do was understand and co-create our own way of working on this. Mm -hmm. And we're doing just fine. So that was using the appreciative inquiry 4D process. Yeah. Sally, that's a great story. I love that second story because it shows it doesn't have to take days and months and years of, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you can do these things when you've got the right people in the room and they're really passionate. You can do these things in a very short time, providing you have a good process and the facilitation is there to help them through. And I love that the fact they said, look, we don't need you anymore. I mean, when when I put in proposals to clients, I often say, you know, my job is to 
um, to embed these skills and this mindset and these tools within the organisation so you can do it for yourself and you no longer yes. need to depend on an external resource, consultant, facilitator, trainer, whatever. I mean, training's probably different, but yeah, so you can do it yourself. Yes, and you know, this is part of what we're hoping for with um, connecting the collective is that we're pointing to a literacy that's needed in organizations around the world. And that's to be able to dialogue among themselves, create space for one another and seek solutions um, and do it on their own. Yeah. And there are, we've talked about appreciative inquiry. We've talked about um, appreciative inquiry, I should say. We've talked about open space technology, but there are um, a number of other tools that we both use or methodologies that enable us to come together and share our voices, share our stories, our hopes and dreams in very compelling ways. So there's World Cafe and um, where people, you know, they come and they have the opportunities for engaging and pacing the conversations on the topics that are important to them um, that make the best of their ideas and um, readily available to everyone in the room. There's the um, art of hosting approach that emphasises the importance of extending welcome and providing conditions where great conversations can occur. So there are lots of these and Sally will put some links on our show notes page so people can go and learn more about these wonderful ways of inviting um, people to be together and to share their stories, their ideas and to feel that sense of um, connecting up that's a that's a great idea to put it on the mm. show notes robin mm -hmm. and i've had fun learning about um something called genuine contact and also the blueprint for collaboration also known as the state of grace processes both of those genuine contact and the state of grace processes originated in north carolina where i'm from and they're excellent in helping people connect and set up ways of working together at a very deep level they can be so useful for all sorts of situations and especially where deep trust needs to be created or renewed sometimes we need to re regain our trust in a group, in a collective we're working with. And they're particularly good for that. Mm -hmm. So this is just a small sampling of what's available for connecting the collective. And I know that our listeners out there can provide many more options of um, how to work with groups. And of course, there are these um, digital platforms that we can use. You know, there are hundreds of digital platforms today, including video conferencing, and groups being formed on different digital networks. They're all enable, enablers to help us connect more easily. Now, WeTip is one that we're using through the Cooper Writers Centre up at Champlain, um, and we used in the World Positive Education Accelerator Conference that I've mentioned in previous episodes. So again, we'll link to some of these tools on our show notes page, so a great incentive to go there and find out more. Great. So just as we wrap up, um, it's easy to practice connecting the collective. We all do it every day. Um, we're always in groups, all of us. So let's dailyfy. You know, in each of these uh, episodes, we've been looking at what practices can we do daily that will help us gain mastery of this, these literacies. So try thinking about the following ones when you're working with others on something important. The first one is about topic. What's this work or gathering in service of? What are we curious about? What question needs answering? Ask yourself that. 
Yeah, and the second one, Sally, is about stakeholders. You know, who needs to be included? Who has a stake in this topic? And who will be impacted by this topic? The third thing to pay attention to when you're dailifying is the contract or contracting. What are we committed to accomplishing here together? What participation might each of us offer? I think we forget to do this quite often to actually see what are the commitments of the people in this group Mm -hmm. toward where we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you mean by that, Sally, like at the beginning of um, coming together? Yeah. Yes. To sort of say, are you are you coming to all of these? Are you are you on for what our topic of importance Mm -hmm. is? You know, are the right people in the room? So will you contract to be part of this mm-hmm. and, and, and to get, you know, go with us forward to uh, our, the, the accomplishment we want to reach? Mm-hmm. Good. Um, so another important piece of this, of course, is the dialogue. You know, um, what are the ways of connecting um, that we might want to use? And we've referred to are there digital platforms? Are people virtually uh, virtual or are they together? Is it face-to-face? So just to, just being aware of how you will connect and then how you will perhaps disseminate some of the dialogue afterwards. Right. And, and, you know, what might be the most cohesive thing that could happen in the dialogue? What kind of dialogue mm. will help people connect the most, not just technically but in terms of their knowledge and intelligence. Absolutely. So that, and then we have to figure out about decisions. So we dialogue and then what do we need to make decisions about? We kind of want to know that as we go in, what's important and how might we make them easy to agree on? We so often make decision-making really labor-intensive and it doesn't need to be. And we'll talk about that more some other time. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And perhaps, uh, um, you know, we also need to think about how we – about collecting the information or the stories or the energy. Well, no, how might we harvest the collective intelligence that emerges so it doesn't get lost and also communicate it to those who were not able to be there? Good point. Good point. So those are just things to think about as you daily go through and plan meetings and interactions and connections uh, to think about these uh, tips that we've just presented. Just food for thought, Robin. Yep, just food for thought. So um, we welcome you to the show notes page of this episode at appreciativevoice.com. Not only will you get a detailed summary of our conversation, you'll also be able to consider where you fit on the continuum for this literacy. How good are you at connecting the collective? How much do you want to learn? So go check that out. And you'll find a link to download our guide to the seven literacies. It's a beautiful booklet that defines, describes, and dailifies each literacy. It's a great little asset to help you strengthen your practices of appreciative inquiry and the principles through the literacies. So next time on Appreciative Voice and Choice, we'll focus on our seventh and final literacy of Finding the Future the visioning voice that helps us to explore positive paths opening before us. It's the power of a shared future. Remember, it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rob. And Sally, great. It was wonderful connecting with you today as always. Well.